some time back when we thought we might be retiring Radio Parallax, uh, we did a, a very fun show that ended with Radio Gaga by Queen because it's just such a damn good tune. Pretty good video, too. But uh, I'm grateful for the fact that we did not actually sail off into the sunset at that point, and we are still here with you. Dear listener, we, we hope that you feel the same way. All right, let's do one of our all-time favorite uh, things on this show, which is the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week. A couple weeks back for, I guess, Martinelli's sparkling cider. With the news that a survey has shown that 35% of companies will not hold office parties this year, largely to avoid, quote, potential liability, unquote, following the Me Too movement. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for Yoshitaka Sakurada, age 68 the Japanese government minister in charge of cyber security, who admitted to a parliamentary commission he has never used a computer. Whenever he needs to use a computer, he said, I order my employees or secretaries to do it. We would say that if you're doing any kind of sensitive uh, transactions, business or otherwise with Japan or people in Japan, you perhaps want to go the extra mile on your cyber security because it appears that Yoshitaka Sakurada is not. And it was an ugly week last week for the church-state divide after Texas Pastor Ed Young warned that God will punish America for voting Democrats back into power in the midterm elections. The Democratic Party is basically godless, said Young, who shockingly is the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And since it's the holiday season, let's do one more good week for item, shall we? It was a good week for history last week after the Texas Board of Education voted to change what students are told about the causes of the Civil War. Students will now be taught that slavery played a central role instead of being one of three factors along with states' rights and sectionalism. And no, we have no way of knowing how many brains were polluted with uh, the notion that the Civil War resulted from sectionalism as much as slavery, but uh, we hope not many. We hope in the weeks and months to come that we're going to take another look at elections and what's going wrong with elections in America, which has been sadly a constant theme on this program over the years. You know, down there in Georgia, the Secretary of State overseeing the election saw himself win in a squeaker. This is the guy that did everything possible to keep black people from voting, and so he prevailed over his black opponent. Writing about that in the Atlantic.com, Carol Anderson noted that uh, Brian Kemp was kind of the voter suppression king down there in Georgia. He purged more than 1.5 million voters from the rolls for not voting in recent elections. Yeah, some states are passing laws now to where if you don't vote, you lose your right to vote. Or at least you have to go through the pain of re-registering. Harry Berman and MotherJones.com noted that on election day, many voters waited more than four hours to cast ballots because county officials had shut down 214 polling places since 
2014. Oddly enough, most of them in predominantly black neighborhoods. And uh, Florida wasn't so good either, but uh, I don't want to talk about this today. Our stat of the day is 100 days. This comes from the Washington Post. That's 100 days of golfing. President Trump has actually golfed on more than 100 days of his presidency, although he told an interviewer last week that he hasn't visited American troops in any war zones because he's been very busy. There seems to be a lot of buzz coming out of Washington. The president is becoming unhinged, (laughs) which I know a lot of you are going to say, becoming. Maybe we should clarify that. The the president is becoming a little more unhinged than usual. He appears to be quite concerned about the Mueller investigation and what's going to start to happen once people in the legislative branch of government, the Congress, at least in the case of the lower house of our Congress, our House of Representatives gets taken over by a party that is not the party of Donald Trump. We hope something happens. It does seem there's a few rough edges that need to get smoothed out. President saying, at least as of this week, that uh, pardoning Paul Manafort is, is not off the table. We suspect that his aides are telling him that that wouldn't be a good idea. But we have it on good authority from a lot of people writing books and articles these days that the president is not listening a great deal to what others are saying. Ever. Anyway, let us talk about other things. Let's bag on tech a little bit, shall we? Yours truly is very annoyed to note that what turned into a shortcut in the Bay Area resulted in a road closure. For the past couple of generations, a small highway called Morrison Canyon Road has provided access for people who live up in the hills. Unfortunately, it also connected on the other end to Highway 680. And with all of these apps out there, calculate the fastest route to get from point A to point B, a lot of commuters decided to take this as a shortcut, even though it is literally a one-laned road. In places, it is only nine feet wide. But people stuck in traffic down on Mission Boulevard, headed down to 680 and seeing three miles of uh, red lights in front of them, checked their apps and decided, hey, this is how I'm going to get around this to the extent that the hazard it has created has now resulted in the road being closed. Wonderful. And speaking of an unhappy mixture of tech and automobiles, and how's that for a segue, let's take a look at self-driving cars, shall we? The November 23rd issue of the week had one of its usual excellent briefings on this topic. The headline was, Self-Driving Cars, Not So Fast. The subheadline was, the driverless car revolution is way behind schedule. Is it just a matter of time? In the Q&A, first question is, what's gone wrong? The briefing states, car makers have been claiming that autonomous vehicles will start filling the roads by 2020 and take over by, 20 and by 2030. Instead, AVs are pumping the brakes as their futurist technology has faltered in the unpredictable chaos of real-world roads. The rollout of General Motors' self-driving cars subsidiary Cruise Automation is years behind schedule. And prototypes by Ford, Tesla, and the Google affiliate Waymo would still flunk driver's ed. AVs sometimes react to parked cars as if they're moving. They get overwhelmed passing through construction zones. They're shaky at challenging maneuvers like turning left against oncoming traffic. Americans remain deeply skeptical about their safety. 
Klaus Froelich, BMW's head of research and development, puts it more candidly. Everyone in the industry is becoming more and more nervous that they will waste billions of dollars. Next question, were the design obstacles? The answer was most AV developers, including Uber and Waymo, equip their cars with LIDAR, light detection and ranging sensors that use rapid light pulses to map a vehicle's surroundings in 360 degrees. Many AVs are also equipped with cameras, radar, and GPS antennas to take in information. But even the most advanced technology has performed inconsistently on the road. LIDAR fails in heavy rain and snow. It struggles to detect little plastic bumps that are sometimes used to divide lanes in California and other states. They're talking about getting rid of the bots dots in California, by the way, because of these AVs. If you've ever been driving on a dark night or a foggy night and found those bots to be a godsend, I would say that would be a very bad thing. Austin Russell, CEO of LIDAR manufacturer Luminar, said... We're not even remotely close to being able to be truly autonomous in diverse conditions. Motorists rely on human clues that technology cannot detect. The gestures of a traffic cop, eye contact with a pedestrian, or another driver that can help us predict their behavior. Engineers believe that AVs can use their experience on the road to refine their programming through machine learning. To the question, how's testing going? The answer was reasonably well when roads are not too congested. There have been more than 100 accidents involving AVs, though most were minor and caused by other cars or pedestrians. To the question, can AVs ever be safe? The answer was developers think AVs are certain to be dramatically safer than human-operated cars. Huh. Computers, after all, don't drive drunk, distract themselves by texting, or succumb to road rage. I'll give them that. In 2017, there were 40,000 traffic-related deaths in the United States. Researchers say 94% of car accidents are caused by human error. Yet surveys consistently find that only about a quarter of Americans would feel safe riding without a driver. To the final question of whether AVs will ever rule the road, the briefing suggests that despite their setbacks, car makers continue to set ambitious goals, and they predict that the mass introduction of AVs will be as transformative to the as the introduction of the automobile itself. But even if design laws are fixed, it should be noted, there will still be countless issues to address. Car insurance will need to be entirely reworked. Traffic laws will also require an overhaul. It's unclear whether the ubiquity of AVs would lead to a surge in cars on the road, which could be a pollution disaster. And computerizing transportation invites all sorts of cybersecurity dangers as a car's controls could be hacked and its movements easily monitored. We reported on this program some years back about what certainly may have been an assassination of a reporter through the hacking of his automobile remotely. And we're not going to revisit that today, but suffice it to say, autonomous vehicles have problems. And I got friends talk about how great it's going to be that they can get into a car anywhere they want to go and it'll just be, you know, available to them. They won't have to own a car, perhaps, if Uber and Skype and other, if Uber and Lyft uh, send autonomous vehicles around to pick everybody up. But what this may mean is that the highways are more congested. Everyone's using a car for little jaunts here and there. Statistical evidence is already piling up that the fact that we're using delivery systems everywhere as we purchase everything online is resulting in massive traffic jams particularly since people get hooked into the free delivery option 
You're online, you look at some $14 item, you think, oh, free delivery? Sure, let's order that up. Instead of shopping in a concerted fashion where you're buying eight or ten things and bringing them home. It's a real deal. Like I said, I just did it the other day myself. I stumbled upon the man who came to dinner and ordered it up. Instead of doing a little bit of shopping and ordering several things at once. Anyway, enough of that. We are saddened by the headline that notes that longtime radio host Ray Taliaferro is evidently missing somewhere in the state of Kentucky. Ray Taliaferro used to have the 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. spot on KGO, that 50,000-watt powerhouse, which yours truly has heard in places as far away as Kauai and Costa Rica. And, you know, KGO had such a wonderful lineup uh, in the past. We, we've had two former KGOers on, uh, Kate, on Radio Parallax, the inimitable Dr. Dean Adele, who used that as his flagship station, and um, Michael Krasny, who now makes his home over at KQED, but started out at KGO. Actually, I believe we had Peter B. Collins on also, who was also, I, I, I believe, a KGO alumnus. We should have more. My understanding after noodling around on the web is that Jim Eason is, is still out there. Um, still a bit unhappy about what happened to the coup d'etat over at KGO when a, uh, a corporation bought them up and fired almost everybody who'd been in the lineup for forever. And, and frankly, they were, they were something of an all-star team. Ray Taliaferro was, was quite, uh, quite the liberal uh, bullhorn and uh, an interesting guy to listen to. And, and, and in terms of what's happening to him right now, uh, Ray apparently has a touch of dementia and was visiting family, I guess, somewhere in Paducah, Kentucky. And uh, reportedly while his wife was checking the window in the back of the house, Ray drove away. He hasn't been seen since. Ray apparently uh, parked his car and went walking and um, wandered into a few places, talked to people a bit. Evidently he walked into a, a church and started talking to the musical director. Declined the coffee they offered him and said he wanted to chat and told the person there all about his life, including his career as a broadcaster. Spoke for about 20 minutes, and the man was concerned about Taliaferro's mental state as he seemed quite forgetful. He reported that he asked my name several times and introduced himself several times. Anyway, we, we hope he turns up safe. That's, it's been, that's, oh, that's a while ago. Last seen November 10th, but, you know, hopefully some good person has taken him in. Of course, you would wonder why such a good person wouldn't then contact authorities, but I don't know. Let's just hope for the best. You know, we're always saying things in the show like we ought to do this or we ought to do that. And a lot of times we do. Once in a while, we don't get around to it. I'm going to do it one more time. Jim Eason I, was a guy I always enjoyed listening to. He was uh, that North Carolina twang of his and this folksy style. We told you some weeks back at the passing of Alan Abel about the time I was listening to the Jim Easton show in the early 90s, and he had Alan Abel on pretending to be the, the promoter of the Ku Klux Klan Orchestra on a Goodwill tour. We may not succeed, but I am going to make at least one effort to, to try and get Jim Easton on this show. Wouldn't that be fun? We're also going to try and get Phil Plate back on this program. Phil Plate of BadAstronomy.com posted something that turned up on my cell phone the other day about either a rogue planet, possibly a brown dwarf, a large object that doesn't quite have enough mass to start its nuclear fires, in other words, a super planet, which we now know to be you know, spread throughout the universe. Some of the closest objects to our solar system are, in fact, brown dwarfs. 
But uh, surprisingly, they've detected radio emissions from this, this object out there, which may be a brown dwarf, may be a planet, that indicates there's aurora. Apparently, aurora emit a very specific type of radio frequencies. Those signatures have been seen in these objects. And this is something we got to talk to Phil about. Here on Earth, we have auroras, but that's because the sun is pumping out charged particles that are following the Earth's magnetic fields down and hitting our upper atmosphere. How can a, a brown dwarf or a rogue planet without a star be generating aurora? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I have the questions. It's another example of how nature always comes up with something out of left field that nobody saw coming. A person we will not be ever bringing you on this program is a guy that, um, that well, I, I, I admire very much. Um, I'm speaking of Dr. Bill Wattenberg. I did not realize this, but as I was looking up some of the uh, information related to KGO DJs, etc., I uncovered the fact that Dr. Bill passed away a few years ago. Researching about... KGO DJs related to Ray Taliaferro, I stumbled upon the unfortunate news that uh, Dr. Bill Wattenberg passed away in August of this year at age 82. He had a certain style. He would always talk about how if you called into his program, you'd be talking to more people than you're going to meet in the entire rest of your life, which, you know, when you're on KGO and reaching that many listeners, I'm sure that was true. I, I called in at least once. I think I called in a couple of times. I definitely know that we had a discussion about the Coriolis force on, on one evening. Politically, Dr. Bill was somewhere to the right of McKinley. And actually, when, when, when he put me on, I said, Dr. Bill, I, I, you know, I, I sometimes don't agree with you politically. And to my surprise, he was very self-effacing, saying something to the effect of like, well, that's because maybe sometimes I'm full of it. <laughs> something to that effect. But I certainly did like what he did with scientific topics, engineering topics, and a range of things from physics to astronomy to, 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 you know, electrical engineering. He was a very smart guy. He really did. Uh, he'd worked um, at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. I really can't say I was in sync with him on issues of environmentalism. He was always referred to eco-freaks. But his, his, his knowledge was so encyclopedic that you just, you just had to admire the guy. I remember a guy called up one time and asked him about eating a possum. And Dr. Bill just ran with it. Oh, yeah, you can eat possum, sure. They're kind of, it's kind of like greasy pork, but, you know, they're not too bad. In reading his obituary, I learned a few things I had never suspected about him. In the early 1970s, when Wattenberg was described as an inventor and physics professor at UC Berkeley, his life took an interesting turn when he authored a best-selling book. It was on sex. It was titled, How to Find and Fascinate a Mistress under the pen name Will Harvey. That book landed Wattenberg on TV shows where he debated the merits of feminism. Big mistake. <laughs> but outside such people as the Gabor sisters. Now, <laughs> if you're going to advocate for feminism, honestly, I think you can do better than, <laughs> than to use Ava and Zsa But KGO wound up hiring him to host a three-hour show on Saturday and Sunday nights. And I can tell you there was, there was many a night I enjoyed listening to Dr. Bill. Although, on many occasions, he followed Bernie Ward, and those two guys did not get along very well. Media blogger Rich Lieberman said Wattenberg was a crusty, cranky, grumpy old man, but it made for great radio. So great that Wattenberg's show was number one in the ratings in 11 states.
It should be noted that for a physicist, he had some interesting friends like Clint Eastwood, who would call into his show on occasion. He did give Wattenberg a few cameos in the Dirty Harry movies. But as mentioned previously, back in 2011, management flipped KGO from News Talk to All News, a format change that flopped spectacularly. Wattenberg lost his job along with Gene Burns, Gil Gross, Len Tillum, John Rothman, and many others. I also discovered that, that Lee Rogers passed away a few years back. Lee Rogers was another voice on KGO, which I enjoyed listening to. When he was at KGO, he seemed very mellow. I had no idea that he was as far right politically as he turned out to be. He wound up jumping ship on KGO and going over to KSFO, where he hosted a show with Melody Morgan that was to the right, well, not just of McKinley, I would say to the right of Attila the Hun. I did get a tour of KGO once, did get a chance to briefly meet Lee Rogers and told him that I enjoyed his work. He said thanks. I still remember my shock when I first heard him uh, turned loose on KSFO to vent what I guess were his held-back political opinions. Anyway, can't say as I agreed with him much when it got right down to it, but he was a darn good radio personality and produced a show that, you know, you could listen to. And, you know, I guess inspired by Lee Rogers, I guess I should finally admit to this radio audience that yours truly has long been a political operative of, of the American Independence Party. Actually, I'm blowing it. It was the American Independent Party of George Wallace back in 1968. And of course, I'm kidding. I did get some mileage back in the early 2000s by saying on this program that I was, in fact, a registered Republican. And, and for a while back then, it's, it's, it actually was true. I changed my voter registration to Republican back in the year 2000, specifically so I could, in the California primary, vote against George W. Bush. I wasn't that worried about how the Bill Bradley-Al Gore contest was going to turn out, but I did think that John McCain was at least qualified to be president, something I did not think was true about Texas Governor George W. Bush. And I do feel vindicated, by the way. I believe my instincts proved quite correct in that case. George W. Bush was not fit to be president. By the way, that opinion, like all those you ever hear on this program, uh, are the hosts alone. And yes, frankly, I do enjoy speaking of myself in the third person. But, uh, you know, stop the music. (laughs) How many of us, if I were the choice of George W. Bush or Donald Trump right now, you know... It's Hobson's choice, I know, but you know, actually, it's premature to say that. So far, at least, Donald Trump has not managed to embroil us in any harebrained wars across the, across the world. And frankly, that's a record we all can hope he keeps intact. Anyway, I want to devote at least one or two minutes on this program to the comments section of New Scientist magazine under the headline of Beware an AI-Fueled World. Brief but provocative piece by Andrew Sims notes that fears of an artificial intelligence apocalypse make the news, but it's AI-driven inequality we should be worrying about. Said Sims, one of the biggest potential impacts of AI, rather than the frequently touted extremes of technological utopia or an end of humanity, uh, could be that AI entrenches and deepens the status quo, intensifying business as usual by ramping up overconsumption and inequality. For many scientists, this is a big concern. Scientists for Global Responsibility, a campaign group for scientists and engineers that 
Mr. Sims works for, recently surveyed its 750 members about AI's effects on the future. Nine out of ten respondents thought AI would deliver more power and economic benefit to corporations than to citizens. Eight out of ten thought AI would lead to a dystopian future rather than a utopian one or an unchanged one. The governor of the Bank of England recently said that AI is like a fourth industrial revolution, which will not only tilt the balance of power further away from from low-paid workers to the owners of capital, but substantially boost productivity and supply. In other words, AI will enable us to make a lot more stuff using fewer people, and as a result is likely to worsen overconsumption and unemployment, which sounds like a bad combination, frankly. We'll be talking more about that in the future. I don't want to end on a downer, so for our final note today, I will go to one of the Garys. Since we're actually quite short on time, it'll be Gary Larson and one of his cartoons, which are hard to do on radio, frankly. But let us evoke that classic Larson cartoon where the doctor bearing a clipboard is at the bedside of a patient. The patient is bandaged from head to toe and his leg is in traction. Joining them at bedside is another man whose head is also bandaged and whose arm is in a sling. That man is informing the doctor of the following. So there he was, just laying there, this big gorilla. So Jim says, do you think it's dead or you think it's just asleep? Nice segue, Mr. McMillan, and appropriate for the cartoon. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this program, like all of them, was produced by Edward McMillan. We'll see you next week. Walks fairly down the street with the brim pool way down low. Ain't no sound but the sound of his feet. Machine guns ready to go. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? Out of the doorway, the bullets rip. To the sound of the beat, yeah. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone, and another one gone. Another one bites the dust, yeah. Hey, I'm gonna get you to another one buys the dust. Yeah.